What keeps you going? Where do you get your motivation? Whether you just want to be the best you can be or the best there ever was, we're here to keep you inspired. Conversations with today's top fitness influencers, coaches, athletes, and bodybuilding professionals. This is Inspired Fitness. Here's your host, Sean Futerer. Welcome to the Inspired Fitness Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Flexigenics. Every year, thousands of people undergo unnecessary joint and knee surgeries. Flexigenics was created to offer the very best in non-surgical solutions that allow you to get back to doing the activities you love. Before deciding on surgery, schedule a consultation and explore non-surgical options. I have personal experience with Flexigenics to treat osteoarthritis and tendon damage. I can confidently endorse their hyaluronic acid and PRP solutions. Welcome back to another episode of the Inspired Fitness Podcast. I'm joined today by my co-host, IFBB Pro, Kimberly Helm, along with our very special guest, Olympic and world champion platform diver, Laura Wilkinson. Laura, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Thank you guys for having me on. I'm excited. As are we. I've been looking forward to this. We have yet to speak to anyone in the Olympic diving realm. So yes, woohoo! I'm the first one. Nice. First one. <laughs> We're thrilled. We're excited. I'm, I'm not competitive at all. I never <laughs> like to be first. It's not a big deal. <laughs> so you've been diving for a long time now. I think you started at the age of 15, and I mean, you have such a long list of accomplishments: world championship titles, Olympic gold medals, dozens of national titles, NCAA titles. What was it about diving that grabbed your attention? Well, see, I was a gymnast growing up a long time ago. I, this was, you know, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but this is, I saw Mary Lou Retton do that perfect 10 vault at the 1984 Olympics. I, I was remember like, that. Was a yeah. Great I'm like, I want a 10. I want to stand on the podium. Like, that's what I want. And so I pursued gymnastics like every other little girl and loved it. But, you know, when I was about 13, I kind of reality hit and I knew that I wasn't going to be Mary Lou level in gymnastics, but that dream and that desire of like wanting to go to the Olympics was still very much there. So I just kind of set off to find another sport that I could do it in. So I tried a bunch of different things over the next couple of years. And it wasn't until the end of my freshman year of high school, I ran into some ex-gymnast friends that had found their way to a diving pool and invited me to come check it out. And so, I mean, the first day I stepped onto the deck and saw the pool nestled in the trees and the music was blaring and it was gymnastics in the water. I was just like, this is my home. Like I belong here. It just was an instant fit. That sounds amazing. First time I met Kim, I got a very Mary Lou vibe from her. I think they're about the same height. <laughs> I'm a shorty. That's very true. <laughs> I do not have her skill set. I will clarify that. <laughs> I, no, none of us do. None of us do. <laughs> you find diving, you know, in, in high school, which is a very formative time of, of life. And when did you figure out that this was more than just a hobby, that this was your talent? I think I just was going to make it that. <laughs> I don't think I discovered that. It was kind of like, I want to go to the Olympics and this is something I can do that. And I think that was very much my mindset. I don't know where I got the arrogance to think that's something that I could do or that I was talented enough to do. It's just what I wanted to do. I was still inside this little eight-year-old girl who wanted to stay on top of the podium. And so that was very much my drive at the beginning. And it wasn't an easy road at the beginning, but I had an amazing club coach who made me actually say my goals out loud instead of hiding them deep in my heart on keeping them all to myself. He actually made me tell him what I wanted to do. And I was really, I remember being really, really embarrassed. I did not want to tell him, but he was so persuasive that I finally just spit it out. And I was like, I want to win the Olympics. And he was, he didn't laugh. 
he didn't even flinch. He was just like, okay, well, here's what we're going to need to do. Like, it's not going to be easy, but if we start doing these things, like we can get there. And I was like, wait, wait a minute, you know, like this, this isn't a joke to you. Like I'm not, I'm not ridiculous. And this isn't something funny or embarrassing. Like this is actually something that can be done. So it kind of was this big moment for me of like, going from dream to like, this is something I can plan to do. This is something I can actually attempt to make a run at. You know, I was probably like 16 at the time, 16 or 17. And so that was, that was a big change for me. Just having that one person kind of unlock that belief really. For me, that's what coaches and mentors are all about, right? It's, it's helping you not just unlock your talent, but it's understand how to achieve your goals and your dreams. First time I met Kim, this was back in what, the 2018, 2019 is maybe five, six, seven years ago, I had approached her. I I have known of her and I approached her because I wanted to elevate my fitness performance. And the first thing she asked me was, what are your goals? And then she followed it up with, do you ever want to compete and get on stage? To which my answer was not just no, but hell no. (laughs) (laughs) So she knew what she was signing up for at that point and she could guide me towards that. And we developed a plan and, you know, it wasn't unrealistic and you know, she knew how to to take a person from where I was to where I wanted to be. And there were no questions about, you know, why do you want to do this? Or it's not the right thing, mm-hmm. you know, for you. It was, all right, let's go do it. I, mm-hmm. That's what I look for in a coach is a, an accountability partner and somebody who can help you visualize and attain your dream in a step fashion, right? Step right. one and that's, whatever. And that's what I feel like a coach should be. Um, but I've had a lot of coaches along the way that weren't like that at all. You know, I've had, I had one in gymnastics, actually two in gymnastics that were very instrumental and very amazing. And then this, um, this one in diving for sure. And my college coach as well, but there were coaches along the way. I mean, I got kicked off my high school diving team because I was a waste of space, like because he was mainly a swim coach and just didn't care about divers. And I actually showed up to the practices and took up a swimming lane from him. And so he really hated us for that. You know, I had my, my drill team, my freshman year, I did the dance team in high school. While I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. When I told her, I thought I'd found this diving thing. She just started insulting me and telling me I was too old to start new things and all this kind of stuff. So now being an adult, I understand that like maybe the dance teacher didn't want me to leave. And so she was reacting this way. And you know, the swim coach, he just didn't care because he had his own priorities, but like what we tell people, like whether they're children or adults, like those words really impact people. And and we don't always know how we're impacting people. So I learned how important what we say is because sometimes we're like, oh, it's just my own world. Nobody is listening to me, but somebody is always listening to you. They're always paying attention. So it's like, what is coming out of your mouth? Are you building people up? Are you tearing them down? What is your purpose? Like I, I tried to become very intentional with what I was saying you know, as I was getting older and realizing like what was going on. So coaches are, are very impactful for better or for worse. So they need to be very aware of what's coming out of their mouth. You know, I like how you said, you know, it's, 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 it's impactful and it's intentional. What you say has to be very, it's okay to be disciplined. It's okay to push somebody hard. It's okay to say, Hey, you pick this or, you know, let's go, let's go. It's okay to kind of ride somebody a little bit when they need the extra push, but degrading somebody or talking mm-hmm. down to them, there's a fine line between bullying, right? And pushing somebody hard. And, and we've mm-hmm. talked about that before with some other athletes too, and, and how to be able to kind of work around that a little bit. Yeah, no, it, dead on. Yeah, you hit it on the head there. Laura, could you see, like, since we're on a video, could you physically see how excited Kim gets about this? The veins <laughs> in her neck start popping out. And she's just- that's passion, baby. That's like physical it. passion. This <laughs> like, is what let's go, let's go. This is what 
Coach Kim brings to the table for every one of her clients, though, is you know, is that type of of passion for helping them achieve their goals. So, we she said, Coach Kim. So you said a couple of things a second ago about kind of the the way that people approach you, the things that they say, whether they're hurtful or supportive, right? That has an impact, and that sets the stage for the type of mindset that an athlete has, at least in my view. You mentioned it. I think it was a teacher that was not so supportive of starting a new a new sport and so forth. And how did you internalize that? And how did you use that to raise your performance to such an elite level? Was that was that helping you form a uh, I'm going to prove you wrong attitude? I think it's really important that like we can talk about what other people are doing and how we we need to be intentional with our own words and how what we say impacts people. And when you are told something that is not positive, that could be really degrading or bullying or or whatever it is, you still have a choice on do you accept their words and do you believe what they're saying or do you choose not to? Like, cause we don't have to believe everything that everybody else is telling us. Like I, I tell people all the time, like other people's opinions are not facts. Like it doesn't have to define you. Like what somebody else thinks of you does not have to be your definition of you. You get to choose what that is. So for me in that moment, I, I didn't believe her because I was like, I started this a year ago, obviously in a year, I haven't aged out of trying new things. So, you know, I was, I was fully like, that was silly. And I kind of realized maybe where she had been because I was one of the top performers. So I, I kind of actually understood where she was coming from. The the high school coach was just a lot of frustration because I actually got kicked out of a class and lost a credit for school. So that, that was kind of a whole thing. But I told my club coach, Kenny, my longtime coach who I've been with for like 30 years, I told him what had happened. And he said, look, that's high school diving. If you want to go to the Olympics, this is what you do here. This is what you do with me. And we'll get you there. What he said does not matter that. And he pretty much like laid that out for me. Like, it doesn't matter what he says. Like, if you're doing this and this is your plan, let's go do it. Let's just like make the action happen. And so he, he has been very instrumental in teaching me how to process those things well. And not that I always handle it the best when people insult me or say mean things, but I try my best not to react. I try to respond. You know, I try to like take a beat, think about things before I initially react to them. But yeah, to answer, it's like to go back to answer your question, it really did kind of light a fire because I was pissed. You know, when somebody tells you something awful and tells you you're a waste of space and you're trying to like do these huge things in the world, you're going to get a little angry. And it was that fuel to light that fire and and to kind of go for the next couple of years. Like, I'll prove you wrong. Not that I ever wanted to go back and show him. Like after I won a gold medal, so many people said, are you going to go back and show him? And I was like, why? Like, I (laughs) don't care about that. Like, yeah, I'm like, he's probably aware. I don't really, I don't care about that anymore. Like it was a great kickstart for me. Exactly. I'm curious when you, when you made this huge transition from gymnastics over to diving, how did your family take that? Were they on board with the plan? Because it's a big change and going to train for something as grand as the Olympics is a huge time consumption factor and obviously, you know, cost and involvement. So what, what were their thoughts on it? Did you feel like you had a lot of support there? Well, my parents are awesome. Like they've always been very supportive and, and very laid back. Like they're very hands off. Like you do this, it's your motivation. It's your thing. Like they'll make me, they made me honor my commitments. Like if I said I was competing this season, I had to compete that season, but, but they were very supportive and, and just let me do my thing. So that was like, I had amazing parents that way. I quit gymnastics at the beginning of like my eighth grade year and I tried tennis and track and softball. You know, I ended up getting on the dance team because again, I told you, I didn't like to speak in front of people. I wanted to go out for cheerleader because I was a gymnast, but I was scared to shout the cheers. So I never, (laughs) I never tried out for cheerleader because that was too mortifying. So I went for the dance team for a year. 
and then found diving. So there was kind of a gap of time and I had been trying all these things. And so I think they were just really excited that I found this thing. They also thought I had kind of a, a background for, you know, gymnastics in the water, basically. It was right. kind of, it made a lot of sense. Um, and they knew there, there could potentially be scholarship opportunities to college and things like that. Again, though, they were supportive. They would take me to practice, but a lot of times they just dropped me off and let me be. And, and sure. very shortly after that, I had a license and I was taking myself and other teammates up there. So, you know, they showed up for every meet and they always cheered me on, but my parents were supportive from afar a little bit like that, which was so healthy because I was the one who had to be motivated. I was the one who had to fall down and figure out whether I was going to get back up or not. Like right. that had to come from inside me. Cause I get parents asking me a lot, like, how do I motivate my kid? How do I get my kid passionate about something? I'm like, you, you got to back off. Like you got to let them fall down and they have to figure out whether it's important enough for them to get back up or not. Like that yes. has to come from inside. You can't do that for them. And, and that is like, fall. you have to let them fall. And it's so hard. Like being a parent now and watching yes. like, like it is so hard, but like that it's a gift. It's a gift. Just like being bored is a gift because that like instills your creativity. You are forced to become creative. Like falling down and, and walking through failure is a gift because that's what teaches you how to succeed. Absolutely. So I, I can that. see this resonates with you as a parent. Yeah, it sure does. My daughter, she's she she likes volleyball. Um she's mine been, too. She's been passionate about it. She's lost her passion for it. She's rekindled it. Like, you know, she's 15, so she's figuring it out. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that kind of hits home with me. And you're right. I think it is a lot about what how we internalize disappointment, frustration, failure, the feedback, the internal self-talk as an athlete especially as an elite athlete, you have to learn how to quiet those things down and focus your time and effort and energy and deliver a, a wonderful performance. Have you ever struggled with that? Oh, yeah. That's like human nature. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course I have. And we get distracted easily. And even when you know how to do all the things, you still fall into all the traps, you know, because it's a, a new season, a different area, like our arena or whatever it is, but you still fall into the same traps. It's just really kind of about becoming self-aware and recognizing what your traps are and what your tendencies are when you fall into them and, and knowing how to pull yourself back out. And that's something as I, as I coach mindset and performance now for other athletes, like I feel like what I'm really doing for these athletes is helping them become very self-aware of their habits, of their tendencies, and how to change them when they're catching themselves doing it. So that's really kind of ultimately what it comes down to. And I think the only reason I got good at it is because I stuck around for so long, you know, and, and did it for a lot of my adulthood, uh, as well as just in my teenage years. So I think that's what really ultimately helped. Yeah, it really does become sort of you're more than just a, a physical coach, right? You have to handle the mental and instill the discipline, teach the nutrition and you know all the things that come with this to to find peak performance. It's you have to be embedded in their life. But and I think it's funny because people are like, oh, well, if you just show up, that's like 90 percent of it. And I'm like, no, anybody can just show up like I see athletes all the time. You'll get 50 athletes in a room and they're doing their workout. Well, 50 of them are there. Do you think they're all putting in the same effort? Do you think they all had the same motivations? Like who, you can see which athletes are there to do something and which athletes are just kind of hanging out and socializing. Like you can see what yeah. the commitment level is. Like you, you see, just showing up is not the same. Like you have to actually be intentional with what you do. And that gets, it's tiring being intentional and like putting focused energy on something is exhausting. And that's why a lot of people don't want to do it for long-term. Like you've got to build up that endurance for it. Cause mindset stuff is hard too. Like when you're, when I'm teaching people how to visualize and things like that, like people give up on visualizing so quickly because it's not something you can see like a physical skill. You can like see the replay. You can see if it was better or not, but like mentally 
it takes the same amount of practice and time to like get good at these things, but you're not seeing a physical tangible result until maybe a competition comes or until you handle something really difficult. So a lot of times people don't want to like stay the course with that and they want to just give up and walk away. And it's like, you're so close. And this is going to make all the difference. Like all these little changes that you can make, you know, in your mindset and in, in how you're handling and responding to things makes a world of difference when you get to those high packed pressure situations, you know? There's a couple of themes in there, Kim. Consistency, not just showing up, being consistent in your training. That that was one of them. And then the other that I sort of picked up in there is, is you're going to have sort of plateaus no matter what sport you're training for. Mm -hmm. We talk about it a lot in the bodybuilding space. That's where Kim lives. Handling the mindset aspect of those two things, the consistency, being there even when you don't want to, showing up and put giving in your best, giving it your best effort when you're having a down day or you're not quite feeling 100% or you're not seeing the progress that you want from yourself, right? That's, that's when the mental discipline kicks in. And you said earlier, you can kind of see that with some athletes versus others. I'm curious, as a coach, are there tips or tricks that you have for helping kind of get people into that headspace? Well, tons of them. I mean, it depends on what angle of the headspace you're running to be in. Like a, a lot of times it's not making these huge, you know, like hour lot, like everybody thinks, so oh, we're going to have to train because it, it does take time and consistency, like you said, but you don't have to add like hours and hours of training blocks to your schedule. Like if you do five minutes of visualization a day or even three to four days a week, that can make a vast difference in your performance. Like there's studies done on this stuff, like five minutes a day. Like who doesn't have five minutes? You know, I mean, if everybody's got five minutes, they can kill, just get off your phone for five minutes. You'll be good to go, you know? So I think it's it's just taking small steps to start and you're gonna build up the endurance over time and get better at those things. It's being willing to make small changes that may feel silly or insignificant that will completely rewire your brain and the way you think, process and respond to things. So it's really just being intentional about the commitment you're making to make these changes because other people may not see them, they may not understand it because it's going to be a very internal thing. So you have to be really committed to do it because very much like my coach says, like I can I can teach you everything I know about diving. I can hold your hand all the way up to 10 meter and walk you to the edge, but you have to jump off. I can teach you everything you need to know. I can teach you all the exercises, but you're the one who has to implement it and see if it's working or not. Come back and tell me so we can make changes. You have to be very intentional to do it. It's just like physical training in that way. You know what I mean? Your mindset is very much the same. It's hard when you're expending so much physical energy and then you want to expend mental energy because sometimes that's almost more taxing because it's different and we're not used to training our brains in such a way. So it can be more exhausting at the beginning. So, you know, it's kind of figuring out how to balance those things. Like maybe on a lighter physical training day, that's when you do more of your mental and mindset training and work. It's kind of like figuring that stuff out. But again, always it comes down to commitment and intentionality. I love that. It's interesting to hear you talk about it from your perspective. And, and of course, over here on the inside, I get all excited about this. The coaching part of me gets all excited about, you know, your, your perspective is so, so dead on, you know, and it's, it's really refreshing to hear that, you know, you have this such a great respect for the mental aspect of it because, you know, and Sean and I have seen this in many of the interview candidates that we've talked with, you know, people who are elite athletes who there's, it's never just the physical aspect ever. It's, mm-hmm. it, there always is a mental aspect that goes along with it. And I can talk to somebody who will think, oh my gosh, you know, when I was, when I was preparing for pro level competitions and bodybuilding and somebody would come up to me and go, oh my gosh, you must be in the gym four hours a day, you know, trying to get that physique 
and it's it was very eye-opening to me when I was learning what other people from the outside would think of the training because they thought that it was a full-time job to be able to acquire certain things. And really, it was more about the consistency over time for shorter mm-hmm. periods of time that got you there. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was really very enlightening to be able to be a competitor and a coach, to be able to see both things, which, you know, you obviously have gone through this. You've taken yourself to the top of the top in the world and you've gone through it yourself. So you kind of have this big view of how you can coach for athletes, which is, which is really, really helpful from what it's, I mean, it's to be able to sit there and guide somebody through the visualization part when you're trying to coach somebody through the mental aspect of it and they're having a hard time grasping it. Mm-hmm. Is there a point where you have this conversation and you have to try to figure out, is this athlete going to have the mental stamina to be able to take it to where they want to go? Yeah, every everybody's at a different place, right? I mean, just like in physical working out or training, like we all have different strengths and weaknesses. Same with mindset. Like some people, fear is not even an issue, like not at all. But like they have a crazy voice inside their head. Or I have met some young kids that know how to visualize where I'm like, that that is insane that you are already doing that at that level at like nine, 10, 11 years old. Like that's some, some people are just naturally gifted at things, but then they have fear that is like through the roof and they do not know how to calm themselves down or how to get through that, you know? So it's, everybody has different strengths and weaknesses when it comes to those things. And so it's really kind of meeting the athlete where they're at. What's been really kind of wild to me, I've coached athletes as young as seven years old now, all the way up to 74. So we've got junior athletes, collegiate, Olympic pro masters. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it is so cool. And what's wild is they all struggle with the same things. Yeah. Like it's it's in different seasons. It looks a little different, but when it yeah. comes down to it, it's the same things. And it's just, it's wild. But being on the outside, you know, it's really easy for me to see and be able like, you know, which was funny because like having always been in the middle of it for me, like trying to dissect myself and what I'm going through and figure it out. It is so easy for me generally to see what somebody else is going through and be able to point them in the right direction, much like a coach, like a physical coach, you know, so it's, it's been really neat for me because I've only been doing this for about a year now, but it has just been absolutely fascinating and really encouraging too. watching people like have these breakthroughs and do these amazing things all because they just changed a couple little dials upstairs, you know, in their head, having nothing to do with their physical training. But that made such a difference, you know, in competition and their mental health. Like, you know, I had some athletes that would get very terrified before competitions. And we changed a few things, refocused a few things. And she not only won a bunch of races at the end of her season, she had joy again. She was so excited to do what she was doing. She loved her sport again, like she hadn't in a long time. And so like, it's just so cool to see that and to cheer people on and, and to, to so see them. Because why are we doing our sport if we're not loving it? You yeah, know what I mean? So exactly. to see people fall in love with that again, like that's just huge. Because it's just so much for you, you know, and you can love that for the rest of your life. It does. See, Sean, this is what it was like when you were training. So when, when, when we were at the gym and I was like, you can do it. Let's go. <laughs> I wouldn't have pushed myself as hard as an athlete without the inspiration, the constant motivation and inspiration from Kim as a coach. I could push myself pretty hard. At least I thought I could. But she helped me get my mind to understand that I could push my body to a whole nother level, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think that's an important element of what a, a good coach brings to the table as well. What's that like for you on the coaching end as you see these young kids and athletes kind of, you see that change in the mindset kind of click and they go from this level to the next. And that's got to feel pretty amazing. 
It's awesome. I mean, that's, that's kind of like winning your gold medal as a coach, right? Like seeing your athletes do that. And you know, it's, it's a little bit like a parent too, right? Like you're, you're probably never going to be the one thanked or credited to any of it, but to, to see them do it is fulfilling enough. You know what I mean? Like it's a cool, it is a really cool thing to watch, to have, to have kind of like a coach that is your cheerleader sometimes like, yes, we need, need to have that internal motivation and we need to be intentional, but like, we're all going to have hard days and we all need a good swift kick in the pants sometimes yeah. to like get us going. And to have somebody who's going to do that for us is huge. My longtime coach has always been that, like he kind of knows when to go easy. He knows when to push hard. He knows like all of our little buttons and things like that. And I've, I've also worked with other coaches who are very even keeled. And I struggled with that as motivated as I am as an individual, I struggled in that environment, but that's just my personality too. Sure. There are other people that will thrive in that environment. Again, like we're all wired a little different, but it's good to kind of find those coaches that you can mesh with, you know, they, they give you what you need, not just what you want. I like that. Good coach. Good coach can make the difference. When you're coaching, you know, Laura, I'm listening to you talk and, and when Sean's talking about, you know, motivation and, you know, having somebody there to push you. And a lot of people think that when you get to a certain place in your, in your sports career or whatever you're pursuing, that you no longer need a coach because you've hit this, you know, you've hit this, this plateau, well, not plateau, you've hit this premier level that you know how to do things. And in even, even at my highest level, I still have a coach because we're our own worst critics. That's kind of the way mm -hmm. I see it, right? You know, and I want somebody else. I, I love doing the work. So when mm -hmm. I'm, I would rather have my coach say, you know, have a second pair of eyes and look at me and say, hey, you know, let's do this with your nutrition. Let's do this with your programming and your training and, and have somebody else's perspective to help keep me straight. And just so that I can put my head down and just dig in and do the work on it. You, I hear you talking about your coach as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about how does that work for different people? Yeah, no, I 100% I agree with you because again, you have so much energy to expend. And if you're putting it 90% in this one area or you're trying to divide it in a few different, like you just get stretched too thin. You get too spread out, you know? And so to have somebody who can be that for you so you don't have to worry about thinking about that part of it. Like you're still over here kind of thinking about it, but you don't have to focus on it as much. You've got a backup set of eyes to kind of give you that guidance. You know, ours becomes in my sport, it becomes very technique based too. Like when you're like in the pool doing the things, I mean, yes, I can go over and I can look at the TiVo every time and see what I've done, but to have somebody who can catch it in real time and just give me the feedback automatically and I can go right back up there and do more. It's a much more efficient practice that way as well. But then at the end of practice, I can go back and say like, you know, I feel like this wasn't right. And I'm looking at these and then, and then, like you said, had that second pair of eyes, like, am I wrong on this? Is this right? Should we work on something else? You know, I love it when coaches are always coming up with like new little training techniques in the gym, like things that we'll do in the dry land that we can implement, you know, into the, into the diving pool when you get there. But like, we're, we're doing little things that they maybe saw the German team too, or they, they saw a gymnast do it. They thought might be good for our sport too. And so they're always playing and thinking about those things. So they're, they're expending their energy bringing in new ideas and new techniques and things like that as well when we're like doing the physical or mental work over here. So it is a great balance. And I think everybody needs somebody not just to have that pair of eyes, to be their cheerleader, to be their support, you know, in good or bad, like you need somebody who's going to walk you through that stuff. So, I mean, coaches are, yeah, I think everybody needs a good coach. And, and it's funny because I guess like diving has gone this whole other realm now. So I did 10 meter platform diving, which is really stinking high. If you've never jumped off a 10 meter, it it's like high, yes. three stories high. It's like yes. jumping off a three-story building. I feel like that's terrifying. Well, now all my old platform friends are doing this Red Bull cliff diving, like this cliff diving that's from 20 and 27 meters. So it's <laughs> two to three times the height. You know, it's like completely insane. And as they start, we're all starting off because it's a brand new sport. 
they've had to coach each other because there weren't a lot of coaches. So they were just kind of trying to help each other out. And theirs was heavily mental and on visualization because they could only get so many reps because they're hitting the water at 60 plus miles an hour and they can't handle more impacts. And so it has been wild for me to watch them and study them and talk to them about like what they're going through and everything. But it like, as they're getting coaches into that, like kind of arena, it, I, I feel like some of the quality has just like skyrocketed. Not that they weren't already doing incredible things, but having the coach there, you can see it really starting to rise quickly. Well, I, so now I'm curious, Ken, you've actually done quite a few different distances. I'll call it, you know, platform distances, right? Three meters all the way on up. So I'm, I'm curious about two things. One, how did you hone in on 10 meter as kind of your area of specialty? And really what goes into training for that? So I did three meter and 10 meter. Those are both Olympic events. And I was qualified to the trials in both of those events early on. I had won nationals in both events. I had, was always top three at NCAAs in both events, even though I had a big international field. So I was I was pretty good at both. I didn't have the same degree of difficulty on the lower board, but I, I was really consistent. But going into 2000, I shattered my foot in three places and I couldn't I wasn't going to physically be able to push the springboard down. And so we knew the only shot I had was maybe at platform. And that's what I tended to be better at, like overall anyway. So we just decided to focus on that. And after I came back after that Olympic Games, I only had, because I, I had to have surgery, I went back to finish my college degree. And so I only had like two years before the next Olympic Games really to focus. So we were like, we don't have enough time to learn a whole new springboard list, the lower level list. So like, let's just focus on platform right now and kind of re, you know, like look at that later. And so after this, my second Olympic games in 2004, I did play on springboard again for a little bit, made the world championships in a synchronized event. But I mean, ultimately at, at that level, it is really hard to be really good on both events. Like you have to start focusing. Cause I, I noticed even this time around, like I, I took a nine year retirement and then decided to come back as an old lady with a bunch of kids, uh, you know, in tow, just cause that's fun and why not. But I noticed that I was training with all these springboard divers. Like we were doing weights, like in the, in the weight room and things. And I was getting really strong. I mean, I was deadlifting more than I ever, ever had. I was squatting more. I was keeping up with the 25 year old. I felt really cool, you know, and like all the high schoolers, like I thought I was awesome, but I was slowing down sure. on my takeoffs and I wasn't, I, I didn't feel like my vertical was changing any. And I was like, I don't, what's going on. And I think because with the springboard, you have to like depress the board and be able to hold it there, which you need that strength for. But for platform, it's static. Like it doesn't move. So you have to pop like real fast off of it. And so I wasn't getting that. So I completely dropped weightlifting and started doing plyometrics. And I, my vertical shot up and just like, I don't know, like a month and a half, I increased it by two inches. I was going faster again. Like it, it rapidly changed when I just completely decided to revamp everything at like 40 something years old. But, but again, that's why I think it's fun to keep trying stuff and, and keep looking at what you're doing. Always be tweaking, always be playing with it. Like be willing to do things other people aren't doing. If you think it might help you, like be willing to try, you know, the worst thing you're going to find out is, okay, that's not working. Let me switch courses and go back here or whatever. So yeah, it's just always kind of fun, I think, to play with. But yeah, springboard and platform are very different in that regard. You can be very good at both. I think to be excellent at both is extremely difficult this in this, in this day and age, really. Can you give kind of an idea of the, the time ratio that is spent training in the water versus on land training? So yeah, that's a great question. We probably, at least on my team, we would spend more time, I feel like, in the gym than in the water. 
maybe you have more water time. Maybe we spend an hour and a half or two hours in a workout in the water where we spend an hour, an hour and a half in the gym. But I feel like we get a lot more done in the gym. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a lot more like rapid fire because you can repeat a lot more. You're yes. not like getting yes. out of the pool and waiting in line and getting back up. Like you can just do a lot more in there. So it feels like more gym time. I guess technically it's maybe more 50-50, but it feels like more gym time to me. But that's where you learn everything. That's where you learn how to do the right takeoffs. And then you're trying to implement those correct takeoffs in the pool because suddenly when you're higher, or when you have a springboard, and you're falling back, like, because it'll give you a trajectory that you don't want, you know, and, and as you go higher, just like in gymnastics, when you're on the low beam, something may feel really easy. But when you're suddenly on the high beam, four feet above the ground, things can be a little more challenging. And so diving is like that, too, as you work your way up the levels. And sometimes you're not doing the same technique, because it's just higher, and it starts to mess with your head a little bit. But that's a game. And I and I started to love that game on like, how do I make myself think I'm still on that lower level, even though I'm way up here? And how do I trick myself or get myself to do the right thing? But yeah. So, so no fear of heights. <laughs> oh, definitely a fear of heights. I would call it a healthy respect for the water and the platform. <laughs> I like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. So yes. At, if at you don't, meters. if you don't have some fear up there, Sean, like you're going to get hurt. Like you have oh, yeah. to have, I saw this Chinese athlete. It was right before the 2004 Olympic games. We were at this just international meet in Canada and he was like by far and none, the best platform diver around at the time. And he was standing on the five meter and I don't know if he was just going through the motions or what, but he blanked out as he swung his arms and went went up, he went straight up over the platform and just landed flat on his back on the platform. Didn't oh do anything. Gosh. It was the weirdest thing, but because he was doing these amazingly difficult dives, but he wasn't all there, he was distracted or thinking about something else and he got really hurt. You know, you like you have to have that healthy fear and respect of both the platform, the board, and the water because you can get really hurt. So that healthy fear will keep you a safe distance and doing the right technique. Understood. <laughs> my experience with diving from heights, you know, stems from my high school days, cliff diving into a lake. Nice. And it was probably about the equivalent of, of 10 meters, about three stories. And uh, I'll never forget this. You know, I, I thought I was doing something special, you know, with twists and flips and stuff off of this. And I hit the water incorrectly, more, more horizontal than vertical. Yeah. And it knocked me out like knock me out cold. And if it wasn't for my friends who were in the water to pull me out, I would have been in some serious trouble. Totally understand where you're coming from with the respect for heights. I've, I've seen that happen. That is not, that is not fun. I, I've never had, I've never been knocked out unconscious, but I've had the wind knocked out of me. That is not a good feeling. I've been bruised head to toe. Like I've definitely, I mean, we hit 30, 35 miles an hour and that doesn't sound too bad, but like the water is not forgiving. Like it feels like you're hitting a brick wall. Like it's not, yeah. That, that is not for the, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> yeah. Well, I imagine after a number of years of doing that, that it takes a toll on, on your body. And so you've got to tackle that from a perspective of well, uh, the recovery perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Thinking about the toll that this has taken on your body. What goes into that for a, for an elite diver, the recovery aspect? A lot of things. And there's a lot of things more available now than there were uh, back in my day, you know, um, all kinds of cool things. I, I fell in love with dry needling this time around as I was older. I was going to physical therapy like twice a week. They, I had a really good relationship with this chiropractic office in our area and they just were awesome at coming in and, and treating me for whatever I needed that week. And so we did a lot of dry needling where they'd hook the stem unit up to the dry needles. And that was amazing because for a like a platform diver, your traps oh my goodness, your traps and your triceps get so brutally beat up. So that was amazing to have that relief. It, it hurt, but like I would immediately like the next day feel so much better. And so like, that was really awesome. I didn't have that available back in the day. We were taking ice baths, like 
and, and that's so like trendy now to take a cold plunge for like yeah. two minutes or whatever. I was sitting in an, a bucket of ice, like up to my neck for 20 minutes. Like that's what we used to do. Like we were kind of hardcore, but like, that's all we had, you know? Yeah. So you do what you got to do. But I remember at one point, like we would only do 10 meter three days a week because that's kind of all you could handle. Like any more than that, like you were going to start maybe getting more tricep injuries and things like that. And we had a, a high performance director that was forcing us at one point to do it four days a week. And that's when I started to get some nerve damage in my elbow. When my wrist started to go bad, which I can't even bend anymore. You can see I'm bending it for you. It doesn't, doesn't bend forward and backward anymore. Obviously four days was too much for me. Maybe there's some athletes that could handle that. I was not one of them. And so I kind of paid that price. I've just a year of doing that. I paid that price. I, I had to have two wrist surgeries after that. I think that might've been when some of my neck issues started because as I realized a lot of the nerve damage that I have going through my arm is from my neck, but I didn't realize that for another 15 years. So, cause I've, I've now had a two level cervical fusion in my neck. I've got a nice titanium plate and six screws over here. So don't throat punch me. If you get mad, you're going to hurt yourself. It, it does take a toll on the body. And, and knowing that this time around, like, and being an older athlete too, when I kind of came back after retirement, I spent maybe half as much time actually physically training and the same amount of time recovering and doing mental stuff kind of on the side. And that's because that's what I needed to do. I could physically do two trainings a day and I could do that, but then I was worthless by the end of the week, you know, and I had like nothing left and I wouldn't be great for the next week. So cutting my workouts down and occasionally I would do a, a two a day or something like that, but, but really focusing on my recovery and the plyometrics and other things that I knew I needed to do was really helpful. But again, it's kind of like, I tried a bunch of stuff. Like I did the the cryo, the cryo chambers, you go into yep. like the really cold, those were amazing. I did like the, the red light beds. Like that was amazing. Like it was cool to try all this different stuff and, and how it made you feel after and really kind of pay attention to like, okay, what does this help? What is it not helping with? Okay. What can I try for this? And again, I think it's really important to just be willing to try different things. What might work for this person may not be what you need. You know, you can definitely try it, but like make sure it's what you need and you're not just doing what other people are doing because they think that's right, you know? Yeah, yeah. you used the word trendy earlier, which is so true. I mean, 15 years ago, we were pouring ice in a, in a you know, bathtub, in a, yeah. in a bathtub or a garden container or something. Yep. Yep. In it, you know, and or trying to find a, go up in the mountains where there's a cold, cold water stream or lake or something, you know, and and submerge ourselves and we knew that there was there was a positive effect from it you know there was definitely some relief from it but it is true you know and, and there's those places are popping up now to where i actually went in one just this past week and it was a store and it's just it's just the it's almost like a closet and it's an it's a, a cold chamber basically and they had them lined up probably 15 of these little ice ice closets that you <laughs> step into for about you know a minute and a probably a minute and a half to two minutes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's amazing that the people who were going in there were all ages for, you know, people who were just trying it out or just, you know, trying to de-stress from, you know, what their normal day-to-day -day activities are. But it's amazing to me how different it is from a sports perspective than what it used to be. The technology itself, mm -hmm. I'm sure you see it more so in your sport because the technology itself has come so, so far over the last between, you know, 10 and 20 years. Well, it really has. And, you know, like, like the Normatech, you've seen the Normatech that like the yes. squeeze your like legs, your arms. Yes. And I got hooked up with something even better. So Katsu, it like, it came out of Japan and it's these bands that what I love about them, it pulsates like that too. And it can also hold it. You can, you can train with it when it, it holds it. It's like the blood flow restriction. So you can train with it like in, in that, like 
total pressure state, or you can let it do the cycles in and out. It was the only thing that would make my triceps stop cramping. So I had the nerve damage down my neck, down my tricep. And my problem is it would cramp. And so I couldn't, I had trouble locking it out and not locking it out. I would do like five, 10 minutes with this katsu and my arm was fine. Like it, it blows me away. Like the things that are out there. So yeah, that, that one's still my favorite. Like we still love that. <laughs> have you tried the compression, Sean? Yeah, I've tried compression. You know, Laura and I actually have something in common in the neck injuries, right? You'll recall from a few years ago, Kim, I had surgery on my neck for ruptured discs and whatnot. I had the same thing down my right arm. I had the like nerve issues. I had actually lost the use of my arm for a short period of time. Oh, man. And uh, it's all come back now with the exception of my thumb. Like I don't have any feeling in the tip of my thumb. I used a variety of different things. Dry needling was one of them. I, you know, I tried tried that. I, I had a lot of compression therapy. I, I, I did chiropractic. I did a number of things. One of our future guests is a, a former Olympian in weightlifting. His name's Kurt White. He's a, also a doctor and a chiropractor now. And he had the same thing, which is how I ended up getting hooked up with him. But, you know, weightlifting, Olympic weightlifting, neck injury, back injury, chiropractic was his solution. It gave me some relief, but it didn't solve my problem. Nothing was going to fix that besides going under the knife. And so it sounds like yours was kind of similar. It was damaged Mm -hmm. enough that there was no other option. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I had no, I mean, my neck never bothered me. I had no idea. It was like a neck issue. Like I had had tricep issues since like 2006 or seven, you know, like for a long time and wrist issues before that, what we came to discover is they're probably all connected. And I just, I didn't know that. And so unfortunately, by the time I got my surgery, I still did get some relief. I can now like, I got my grip strength back, but like, I still have a lot of just permanent nerve damage. I'm used to it. So it's not really like anything different. It just unfortunately isn't going to change, but at least I know like this is safe now and I'm, I'm good to go as a mom. Cause we, we got to the point where we were worried just to live a healthy life as a mom. You know, we were worried a small car accident could have a really traumatic effect and things like that. And actually six months after my surgery, we were in a car accident. And so I just remember being in that moment, like so grateful we had decided to do it because I had all four of my kids in the car with me and like, what if we hadn't done that? You know, all the thoughts that race through your head, not something I wanted to ever do, but I'm, I'm really thankful that we did that. First of all, yeah, that's wonderful that you did do that. And then thankfully nothing happened in that, in that accident. Yeah. But I, it makes me curious though, as you entered into your Olympic and, and world champion level of competition, did you ever think about the toll that it was going to take on your body when you were in that state? No, what athlete does? No, you, you're hyper focused on like, I'm going to get this goal. I want this gold medal. Like, I'll do anything to Whatever get there, right? <laughs> yeah, because like, this is your whole life's mission in the moment. Yes. Like, that is it. Like, it was really funny. I remember being at the Rio Olympic Games and I was doing some like reporting for, for NBC and I was talking to some of the other athletes that I knew well were also reporters from other countries. And, and the water turned, I don't know if you remember this, the water turned real nasty green and you couldn't see through it. Nobody really still knows what happened to that pool, but we were all looking at that and we're like, would you dive in it? Would you dive in it? We're all like, it's the Olympics. Yeah. You like, you just do it. Like, they don't care. Like, this is it. Like, this is what you have like gotten here for. Later. Yeah. Like your blood, sweat, and tears has led you here. If that's what the pool looks like, that's yeah. what the pool looks like. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So no, you just, you don't think about that going in. Like, this is, this is everything to you. Yeah. I mentioned this in our interview with Mark. It, it made me think of this gentleman, Bjorn Dunkerbeck. Bjorn is a 42-time world champion windsurfer, and he's wow. been doing this for almost four decades now, and still still does. You know, he was telling us about how the toll that it's taken on his body, and he's had to have hips replaced, and you know, all these you know wow. all these things. And 
he has no desire to slow down. None whatsoever. Well, that's, yeah, when you love what you do, I yeah. mean, you're willing to to go through that. Like that's, I think that's it in a nutshell. And it, it brings me back to kind of the theme that we've talked about here, Kim, is, is, you know, that becoming an elite level athlete, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Progress and growth comes from discomfort. That's That's been one of the things, that, Laura, that has stood out for Kim and I as we've embarked on these on this journey of conversations. For sure. I mean, because if you're just doing things that are comfortable, you're never trying anything new. You're never, you're, you're never expanding yourself in any way. So yeah, every, everything you want is on the other side of comfort, you know, just kind of like the same with fear, right? Everything that you want is probably on the other side of that fear. Are you willing to go through it to get there? And a lot of people aren't, they're just not, they're like, it's not that important to me. So that's when you really start to find out how bad you want something. Am I willing to be uncomfortable? Am I willing to walk through fear? Am I willing to do these things to get it? Am I, am I willing to risk like getting the hip surgery or doing all these things? Like when you, when you are passionate and you have that drive for something, usually the answer is yes, but that's a a really quick way to find out how bad you want something, you know? It's true. And there's, you know, it's, there's so much information out there today, you know, versus so many years ago when we did not have, you know, all these fast track direct lines into social media and podcasts and there's so much information that's out there to educate yourselves on who's doing what and how to safely go about doing it and what you know there is a safe way to engage in a painful action that is for your benefit right you know there is a line that you don't want to cross obviously you know there's Mm -hmm. but there is a place where nine times out of ten i would say almost 9.9 times out of ten you take yourself to this place where you don't think that you can come back from but you do you know you 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 don't know what your boundaries are till you push to get there and then that boundary shoots a little further out a little further out and a little further out every time that you experience it and you almost make that pain level a comfort you know to where you start to kind of engage with it a little bit more comfortably and you can take more from it at the end of the day once you once you're able to get through it but until you break through it it's scary and it's for some people it always is scary like i mean there's and i don't i don't know we haven't talked about nerves laura i don't know if you get you know if you're if you were getting nervous at every single competition you went to when i go on stage for bodybuilding i know that even though i'm confident even though i know i'm where i'm supposed to be when i'm there Right before I go out, I'm nervous. But once I'm out, it's just, it's, it goes away. It all disappears and dissipates. And then it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful experience. So when you were competing, did you feel like you were nervous every time at every level? Because you have to go through a ton of competitions to get to nationals and Olympic level. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, and, and it, I don't think it should. Like, because nerves just remind you that it's important to you. It just means it matters. Like I have had times where I wasn't nervous and I was like, okay, that's a red flag. Like something is not right because I don't want to be here. Like there's something not right. You know, like I'm burnt out, like something is happening. Like that was my biggest warning sign because I'm always nervous. And and I've talked to a lot of my athletes a lot too, because sometimes their nerves get so much, it's like paralyzing. But we talk about like, how do you feel when you're nervous? I get butterflies in my stomach. I may shake a little bit or I'm, you know, I'm like hyper aware of everything. Okay. Well, how do you feel when you're excited? I get butterflies in my stomach. I shake a little bit, you know, I'm like hyper aware. Oh, it's the exact same thing. So are you telling yourself you're nervous? Are you telling yourself you're excited? Because the way we think about it, it's the exact same physical response. So start telling yourself you're excited because that's what's really happening. That's what nerves are. You are excited. It matters to you. This is important. You want to do well. You're excited. So I think a lot of times we frame it as we're nervous and it's this fear thing. But if we just start looking at it as we're excited, I'm excited. This is awesome. This is my opportunity. Wow. Just that like small shift in how you walk into an event 
changes everything. It really does. Yeah. So, so nerves are good. Like they're not bad. Like, like I told you, nerves, healthy respect, healthy fear, like will keep you safe from a platform too. So a little bit of nerves can go a long way. <laughs> that, that kind of comes back around to self-talk a little bit. So if you're in a situation where you're feeling nervous or feeling excited, whichever one it is, depends on what you tell yourself. Mm-hmm. If your first instinct is, oh shit, you know, okay, you're nervous. If you're, if your first instinct is, heck yeah, let's do this. I'm glad to be here. You know, that's, and I think you get a different result based on which one you tell yourself. Oh, you definitely do. But even if your first instinct is the first one, the negative one, it doesn't mean you can't change it. Like, even if that's your first reaction and you can be like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know what this is. It's not that it's not nerves. I'm actually excited. Like you can change that even after it's happened. And that's what I think people don't realize. Like, like in diving, a lot of times if somebody misses the first dive in a competition, they'll just take themselves out because they're like, oh, it's done. But diving is a crazy sport and you don't ever know what's going to happen until like the last diver's done the last dive. So you don't ever give up. You come back fighting. And that's very much how we're wired and and the way we talk to ourselves. I think everything comes down to self-talk, honestly. And if you can be aware of yourself and the way you're talking to yourself and, and, you know, recognize triggers and be able to change that on a dime because you've been practicing that and training and like leading up to that. And you've come up with things to tell yourself to replace certain thoughts. It it changes not just your perspective and how you're handling walking into it. It, it handles how you perform. It handles how you react with coaches, with, with other athletes, it, how you feel after the tournament, whether you have done well or not. Like if you make up your mind to go in, like, my goal is to give everything that I have. Yes, I want to win the gold medal, but I am going to do X, Y, and Z technique, or I'm going for this certain score. And you do that. Even if you lose, you can walk away feeling good about your performance. You know, it doesn't mean you're, you're not going to be like, I wish I won, but like you can still feel good because you knew you accomplished your goal. So how you set your mind up going into something pays off huge even after you finish the competition. As all good comedians should do, they bring it back around to the beginning. And in the beginning, you had talked about Mary Lou Retton being such an inspiration and her performance for the perfect 10. Well, you actually had a perfect 10 performance yourself. Mm -hmm. How did that feel? Are you talking about when I won the Olympics or the actual perfect 10 that I got? (laughs) Well, I I imagine they they feel relatively similar, but in, in this instance, the comparison was the perfect 10. My very last Olympic trials before I retired the first time in 2008, Uh, It was really cool because I was doing dives a lot of girls weren't doing, really difficult dives. And on this one dive in particular, that's the one I got straight tens on at Olympic trials. And I I think only a couple of guys have done that in history. I think I was the first woman to do it. So it was kind of a big deal. And on that dive, that was such a big degree of difficulty. It just kind of still that feels really good. Like that was an incredible moment. Like there were no flaws Nobody saw anything wrong. Like, and, and one of the cool things is in NBC's coverage of that moment, like they pan over to the coaches and it's not just my coach standing up, like all the coaches stand up and start applauding it. And like, to me, that's kind of like the epitome of sport. It's like, it wasn't yes. even about whether I won the competition, like that moment, I had the respect of like every coach, every athlete, every audience. Per- that is something that isn't just about a gold medal. It's more, you know, like in the Sydney Olympics, there, there was a, a round where at, at one point I, I got in the lead and I didn't realize this at the time, but I became the crowd favorite because it was in Australia and the Australians weren't doing very well. And so they all got behind 
representing me. And I became this crowd favorite going into like the last two rounds. And that is something I had always dreamed of. And that, that is something like whether you win or lose at the end, like you get to make these moments, your memories that you take with you, where you became that crowd favorite, you were living out that Olympic dream in the moment, whether it happened or not in the end, like you got to walk those moments out. And so I think it's really special for people to be able to recognize. And it's, and it's hard because we talk about this balance of like being focused, being intentional, like letting other things go so that you can focus right in here. But but also to recognize those amazing moments that you have along the way, because that is truly what you can take with you long after, you know, the suit has been hung up and, and you're not smelling like chlorine anymore. <laughs> you know. Since you brought it up, was that feeling much different than winning your first gold medal in the Olympics? Um, I just very different. I mean, that was the one moment and it was, it was definitely an extra special one, but I was still like looking toward the Olympics. That was a few months after that one. So like winning the Olympics, I mean, that's, it's still surreal looking back. Like, I'm glad we have a videotape that that happened. And there were so many things leading up to that, you know, cause I had, I had broken my foot and the finals was like this crazy, like every dive was just kind of this drama filled round. And it was kind of like an epic battle in my head, at least how we, how we got there at the end. So they're, they're all special for different reasons. You know, I had different moments at like world cup and world championships when we won and we were battling different things. So it's, I don't know, like some, sometimes you remember all the details and sometimes you don't, but, but you remember these special moments and, and all the moments are special for different reasons, you know? And I love that you still have this wonderful energy and enthusiasm when you tell these stories. And, you know, you know, for those of you who are listening, you know, we, we, we have the luxury of seeing each other while we're doing this podcast and you know she just lights up with this energy about it you know when she's talking about whether it's whether it's her as a competitor or coaching and I love to see that because there are a lot of people who have gotten to a place where they've lost that and that's unfortunate and I love to be able to see that somebody is still very very passionate and excited about what they've done and what they're still doing with other people it's fun well you know it's it's cool because I always I always had a problem. Like I I retired in 2008 and I wasn't ever really happy about that, but I was ready to be a mom. I was 30. And like, that's just, I knew that was like kind of, we had a limited amount of time to do those things. And so like that, I walked away from the sport so that I could be a mom and never thought it was something I could do again. And so I don't think I ever really felt resolved about being done. Like all these people I talked to were like, I just felt like it was time. Like, I just feel good about it. And I was like, how come I have never felt good about this? I don't feel good about it. So (laughs) no surprise, I come back at 39 and decide to do it again. And, you know, the pandemic then pushed it out a whole nother year. And like, that was both good and bad. And you know, the first year that I was done, I was, I was kind of a little lost, like, well, okay, that didn't go well. And like, how do, what do I do now? And who am I without the sport? And, you know, trying to figure out all those things, like, but I was, I was in a better place because I'd walked through it once before already. But when I kind of fell backwards into starting to coach people last summer, it like brought that passion back. And it is the first time I feel like I've had something that feels as fulfilling as me actually doing the sport of diving. And so that, that's, I think that's why I get all lit up about it because I love walking these athletes through it. And I'm, you know, hoping to lead them to the same kind of excitement and awesome memories and to be the best that they can be with what their goals are and everything. So it's, it is, it is really fun to walk alongside other people on their journeys too. I got to imagine too, as a, now as a parent, that there is quite a bit of joy and satisfaction in your kids watching you do what you do, right? Because, oh, you, them watching me or me watching them? Well, I mean, I don't think they really care watching me. 
I always enjoy watching my kids do their thing, mm -hmm. but you know, on the other end they're whether they enjoy it or not, maybe up for debate, but they're always <laughs> watching you and they're learning yeah. in that yeah. process. Right. And you're teaching them how to be consistent, how to be disciplined, how to have that right mindset, how to mm -hmm. compete at a certain level. Like those are invaluable lessons to be able to demonstrate for your kids. Right. And it, and it's funny because when I, coach other kids, you know, the parents be like, I told them that. And I'm like, sometimes I need to hear it from somebody else. So when it's your own kids, right? You're like, are they really watching me? Are they really listening to what I'm saying? Cause I'm not getting that same feedback, you know, <laughs> as I was doing this. And especially like when the pandemic hit and I couldn't, cause I was always, I would go to the gym, I would go out to the pool and that's where I did my training. But when the pandemic hit in 2020, and we had to be at home doing all the things like I had mats set up in the backyard or in the garage and I was flipping or I would be up in the game room doing a, you know, a Zoom workout with my team and they would try to join me and then peter out in like two minutes. And, you know, but they, they saw me day in and day out putting in all this work, you know, and they're like, well, can't you come do this? I was like, well, after this, this has to come first. And so what I'm hoping is they started to pick up on some of that, like it takes discipline, it takes being intentional, it takes, you know, real drive to like do these things that you want to do. And it's, it's going to be hard. Like there's times that are, are not going to go the way you want them to, but you've got to keep pushing and keep going. Um, if this is something that means something to you. So hopefully they have learned some of that from watching and picked it up, or at least we can refer back to it maybe, but they, they did get to witness it, although they were pretty young, but I'm hoping it's somewhere instilled, you know, deep Absolutely. inside. <laughs> Absolutely. Everything has an impact. Yeah. No question. It's, it's in the back of their minds. Well, thanks. Laura, that, that's reassuring. <laughs> yeah. Laura, this has been incredible. And I mean, you have such an inspiring story. For me in particular, the comeback at 39, you know, that speaks to me. I'm close to 50 now and I'm, I'm thinking about doing some things. Nice. Uh, so I'll use that as, as inspiration. So thanks for a great conversation. For those listening, if you want more from Laura, she has some really great content out there on her podcast titled The Pursuit of Gold. And you've got some potential freebies to offer. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a little freebie. It's called the top 10 mental skills that every athlete must have. And it's a great little guide, just kind of bullet pointing, like what those 10 skills are kind of an assessment. Do you have them and what you might need to work on to get there? So go grab it at laurawilkinson.com slash skills. It's yours. My gift to you. Perfect. We'll post the link to that as well. Awesome. Love it. Well, join us again next time for the inspired fitness podcast. Until then we wish you a healthy mind, a healthy body and healthy habits. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Inspired Fitness, leading you to a healthy mind, healthy body, and healthy habits. To stay inspired, visit us at inspiredfitness.net. That's I-N-S-P-I-R-D.net. Until next time, stay inspired.